hurt you. Jack Torrance from The Shining had the real Shining, and nobody's ever noticed it before. Stick around as I show you the proof. Hi guys, welcome back to the Fangirl. I'm your hostess McGann, and I'm gonna try to give you the mostest theory I can. Jack is The Shining. Now, if you haven't seen The Shining movie, the short summary is that Jack Torrance takes a job at the Overlook Hotel, and he has to move out there and stay during the winter months by himself with his wife and son Danny, or Doc. So, giant massive luxury building, one caretaker for seven months. And roughly one month into his seven-month caretaker commitment, Jack goes crazy and decides he wants to kill his entire family. And it's all happening while these unexplained ghosts are running around and his son has an imaginary friend in his finger. You know, it has always struck me as really weird that the movie version of The Shining tries to explain away Jack's issues as, oh, he had cabin fever, and that got him opened up to being possessed-ish. Also, let me clear this up before we go any further. The book absolutely does not matter here. I don't care what it says in the book, they are completely different species of animals, and so at best you could say their alternate universes. So no, the answers in one do not fix the plot holes in the other. Booktivists, sit down and calm yourselves. Also, The Shining movie does so many creepy weird things that it never explains that I'm also hesitant to take answers from Dr. Sleep. It seemed like Dr. Sleep wanted to be more like the book, so it tried to fill in plot holes even if it didn't exactly fit right. And don't get me wrong, some things do work to a degree, like the ghosts being attracted to the shine, but at the same time, it does because the ghosts in The Shining are nowhere near as aggressive as they are in Doctor Sleep. They kind of try to explain that away, but again, it doesn't really fit for me. So, point blank, I don't care about the book or necessarily Doctor Sleep for this theory. The Shining movie existed by itself for almost 40 years, so we can look at it in its own self-contained little bubble. Moving on, there are a lot of little clues in this movie to lead us to believe that Jack is not the average Joe that we're led to believe he is. For starters, the film uses this high-pitched ringing noise multiple times, and it's usually associated to something sinister or dangerous happening. Primarily, the noise is associated to either Danny or Dick Holleran, one of the Overlook's employees who is not sticking around for the winter. However, as the movie progresses, Jack's mental state seems to be the subject matter when that ringing goes off. Here, have a little montage to show you what I mean. Here's the thing. 
both Danny and Dick admit to having the Shining, which, if you don't know, is like this superpower that lets people communicate telepathically, among other things. Again, Dr. Sleep raised a bunch of convoluted questions on how these powers worked and then refused to answer them, but it's really peculiar to use that ringing sound for people who have the Shining, and then to start using it for Jack, too. It's a subtle suggestion, but it's there. Jack has powers. And if that isn't enough to bring you to my side of this argument, well, just listen to what Dick tells Danny. You know, some places are like people. Some shine and some don't. I guess you could say the Overlook Hotel here has something about it that's like shining. You know, Doc, when something happens, it can leave a trace of itself behind. Maybe things that happen leave other kind of traces behind. Not things that anyone can notice, but things that people in shine can see. So, if the Overlook Hotel shines and only people who have the shining can see things like malicious ghosts, then explain to me how Jack enters room 237 and sees something there. And if somehow you don't know, room 237 has a beautiful woman in it who morphs into this waterlogged old witch. So if Jack were a regular dude with plain old cabin fever, he shouldn't have seen anything in that room. Dick also tells Danny that his grandmother had the shine too, which means we know for a fact that there's some genetic component to this power. Plus, we're told a lot of people shine a little bit and don't even know it. All other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. That could also describe Jack, and it seems like moments of great stress kind of activate the shining power, and that's why Danny first got those powers when he started nursery school. I guess Danny started talking to Tony about the time we put him in nursery school. Meaning, while Jack is isolated with a family that he doesn't really care much for, being sober may have put enough stress on Jack's mental state that his powers unlocked or grew exponentially until he's able to will himself into seeing bartenders and old women. Side note, but isn't that scene the weirdest thing? That old lady is so creepy, but there is zero payoff for that moment. I mean, she doesn't chase Jack down or do anything else in the movie. That scene just exists to exist like the blood elevator. Now, if you insist on bringing Dr. Sleep into the mix, I mean, fine, I'll throw you a bone here. It could make sense that the ghosts of the Overlook were attracted to Danny and Jack's shine and they were just all out trying to nab some of it. It also opens up an interesting possibility that Dick went around the Overlook locking up ghosts in different hotel rooms just like Danny put them in mental boxes in Dr. Sleep. And that's why Dick was so insistent that Danny never go into room 237. There ain't nothing in room 237. But you ain't got no business going in there anyway. So stay out. Because that was a spirit that even Dick struggles to contain. Those helpful points aside, though, there are still plenty of moments in The Shining that suggest that Jack shines too. For example, when Danny sees a ghost in the hotel, he usually covers his eyes and then they disappear. It's almost like he's willing them away or he knows how to shut off his powers temporarily. And if we really study the scene, there's an excellent one where Jack walks into the empty gold room bar. He's looking around the bar like, oh my 
gosh, I can't deal with sobriety right now. And then Jack puts his hands over his eyes, much like how Danny does. And when he removes them, hello, Lloyd, how are you? Completely out of nowhere, Lloyd, the friendly bartender is there. Oddly, even though Lloyd doesn't say a word and isn't wearing a name tag, Jack already knows his name. But they chat, Jack drinks, and a few minutes later when Wendy barges in, there's no bartender again. She can't see the ghosts like Jack can because boring old Wendy isn't a shiner. And once Jack has gotten comfortable with seeing or maybe even summoning one ghost, the next time he walks into the gold room, the place is packed full with ghosts from the 1920s. And that all came about from Jack covering his eyes to summon ghosts, just like Danny covers his eyes to make him go away. Shine on! shine off. Additionally, I find the Shining's use of mirrors to be very interesting. Now, when you have mirrors on set, they are a huge pain in the butt. You have to strategically place lights, cameras, crew members, everything, because if that camera catches the mirror at just one wrong angle, bam, you can see everything and the shot's ruined. Mirrors are a nightmare to work around and that's why you don't see them in a lot of houses in film. Not to mention, in film studies, if you're recording a subject through a mirror, it has implications to it. A mirror means that a character is reflecting how they want to be seen to the world or there's some kind of duality about them, either of which can apply to Jack here. And with The Shining, the mirror is almost another character. After roughly a month of being in the Overlook Hotel, we have a scene where Wendy is bringing her husband breakfast in bed. She wakes him up and Jack is shown completely through the mirror in this scene. Now, we've already been warned to feel uneasy about how Jack treats his family in this movie, but we haven't seen anything yet. And in this mirror, Jack is in an extremely pleasant mood and he's not even mad to be woken up. And that's done to show us that this is the good-natured fellow that Jack wants the world to see, whether that's his true personality or not. Then a few scenes later, when roughly another week has gone by, they use that mirror again to show Jack just sitting on the bed, staring at himself. He just looks dazed while he's looking at his reflection and that's when he has the really uncomfortable conversation with Danny of like, you know I'd never hurt you, right? Never do anything to hurt you. Never. You know that, don't you? Huh? Yes, Dad. I mean, all that scene was missing was a dun-dun-dun or the intro to Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Never do anything to hurt you. What is really worth noting though is that the infamous red rum scene uses that mirror as well. Danny, who appears to be possessed by Tony, writes red rum on the bathroom door, then wakes up his mother who sees it in the mirror and oh my gosh, red rum is murder spelled backwards. But Tony has never spoken to Danny backwards before and other than the suspense of the reveal, the story gives us no reason as to why it's written backwards on the door. I'm not sure that I have my finger on the answer yet, but I feel like that mirror, or maybe mirrors in general in this movie, are just infested with the ghosts of the Overlook. It's not a new concept. There have been reports for hundreds of years that people have seen ghosts in mirrors, and it's certainly not a new movie trope. So even though The Shining never directly tells us that the mirrors are as haunted as the rooms, I, I think I like the merit of that idea. We could also make the case that the mirrors represent the essence of the Overlook. They're like this demonic nature that makes the Overlook shine. It's 
It's everywhere, always watching, always influencing. It knows what you're gonna do before you do. It's just like the YouTube algorithm. But seriously, that's not something to dismiss, especially if you think about Grady. The Shining movie occurs in 1980, the same year the film was released. And during Jack's interview with Mr. Allman, he states that his predecessor was Charles Grady. And Charles Grady killed his family and then himself while acting as the caretaker over the winter season. Uh, my predecessor in this job hired a man named Charles Grady as the winter caretaker. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family with an axe. What's really weird is that Allman says this tragic event happened in 1970, just 10 years before the start of the movie. However, Jack meets Grady in the gold room, and by all the flapper dresses and the picture at the end that's dated for 1921, it seems like Grady has been at the Overlook since the 1920s. But Grady's daughters are in the movie. They're the two girl ghosts dressed in blue that keep bothering Danny. And they're maybe 10 years old, so why does Grady look like he's in his 60s when he meets Jack in the 20s time warp. Sure, men can have kids in their 80s if they're really stupid, but when you think of a family man with young kids, you think of somebody in their 30s or 40s because, you know, especially before birth control was common, you just had kids when you were younger. You don't really expect to see a balding old man with 10-year-old daughters taking on a job where he'd be isolated from medical care for seven straight months. Plus, if Grady was an older fellow back in 1921, then he would have been about a when those girls were born in 1960-ish. So why does Grady's age not seem to fit his family dynamic? Buckle in, this is where it gets all wibbly-wobbly timey-wimey. That's because the Grady that Jack meets is not Charles Grady of the 1970 murders. Oh no, Jeeves Grady tells us that his name is Delbert Grady, implying that he's the father or even grandfather of Charles Grady. What makes it extra confusing is that Delbert Grady says that his daughters didn't like the Overlook and they tried to burn it down with matches, so he corrected them. One of them actually stole a pack of matches and tried to burn it down. But I corrected them, sir. That makes it seem like Delbert Grady had a very strong sense of order and perfection when it came to the Overlook and its guests. And if Delbert was a particularly strong spirit, he might be chasing after people who have the shine or influencing them or possessing their bodies. Delbert Grady has the ability to inhabit the bodies of the caretakers, and that's why he can say with authority that Jack has always been there. Because Delbert himself has always been there to control and influence the caretakers. It doesn't matter who they are or where they were born, Delbert has always been there to assimilate them and guide them. That makes the positioning and usage of the mirror in the bedroom very interesting, especially since the bar and the bathroom where Grady physically manifested had ample mirror space as well. And if these ghosts are attracted to people who have the shine, and only people who have the shine can see them, like Dick said, then if you don't believe anything else, Grady's ability to spy on the Torrance 
family and have quick access to them through mirrors seems to fit. I mean, how else would he know that Danny was calling Dick for help? I also want to touch on the photo that we see at the end of the movie. I will fully admit that years and years ago, I tried to look up what that meant. It's a picture right outside of the gold room, and notice that the sign for the gold room has moved from outside the doors to inside, implying they're closed now, party's over. And it shows Jack Torrance in the middle of a party where the caption reads, July 4th Ball, 1921. Jack definitely isn't old enough to be actually in this photo, but it causes you to mentally recall Delbert Gray telling Jack that they've both always been there. The director has said that the photo is not actually Jack, but one of his past lives because Jack is a reincarnation. And that idea certainly can work, but I don't think it's as good as a ghost possession theory, honestly. Delbert Grady is more of a butler than a caretaker, and the photo of Jack at the party has him positioned right in the middle as if he's the owner of the Overlook. There is no way that a bunch of hoity-toity rich people from the 1920s are gonna put the hell front and center in their big commemorative photo. Don't forget, Allman, the head honcho of the hotel, said that his predecessor was Charles Grady. That means that Charles wasn't just the owner or president or CEO or whatever his title was. Charles Grady was so invested in the Overlook that he also stayed there to take care of it all winter long. And if I'm right, and Charles Grady's ancestor is Delbert Grady, the Grady family could have owned or been managing or whatever the Overlook Hotel since it began, which means they would be extremely attached to the hotel as a family unit and they would want everything about it to be as perfect as possible. And Delbert Grady would keep up with that perfection even if he had to stick around from beyond the grave and do it himself. But you can't just possess anybody because most people can't see you or hear you. The only people you can really influence are the ones who shine. So gosh darn it, if you don't believe that Jack Torrance has the shining, then I just give up. But this theory holds all the water droplets, darn it. It might not be reality, but wait, actually, yes, this time I demand that this is reality and not a theory. This is a facty. And you know, it has always stuck out to me as weird that The Shining movie tries to explain away Jack's happenings as, well, he had really bad cabin fever and that opened him up and that opened him up to, and that opened him up, and that opened him up, opened him up. Well, family members, we're almost done, but I want to invite you to hang out with me in some other places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as my own personal self, and I have a Facebook page too, but I mostly just post photos over there. And sometimes people say, hey, McGann, I want to mail you something. How do I do that? Easy. Just click the About tab on my channel page, and my most current P.O. Box info will be right there. I also run another channel, The Family. It's really a hodgepodge channel where we might post anything. Oh yeah, and I also sell shirts and stickers and stuff with the family and the fangirl logos. If that is your cup of tea, I have a link in every description of every video. Finally, if you want to help out the fangirl channel and make sure I'm putting out video essays for years to come, the best way you can help is by subscribing and watching more of my videos, whether they're new, old, whatever. Maybe even share one or two on social media, help spread the word. People who watch to the end of videos like you helps to tell the site, hey, this is a good video. We should recommend it to other people. So if you made it this far, leave me a comment of something like, hey, I made it to the end. Love ya. See you next time, family members. Bye.